0: let
1: the games begin by taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat chit chat yeah chit chat thank you conversation must be stimulating
0: still you need a set of aesthetic guidelines to put it in social perspective i think maybe what we need here is a fresh perspective fresh points of view stimulating conversation i thought it would put things in perspective for you let's begin all right
1: Awesome. Welcome back. Episode number seven. You know, that I'm really starting to like that intro, Peter. I think you did a really good job.
0: I'm glad it's growing on you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, today uh, we have my buddy AJ. He's a friend from college. Um, he started uh, investing in stock a few years ago and uh, moved into real estate. Now owns 21 units. Um, so I thought, uh, you know, has a background in finance, economics. Um, and I thought it would be just fun to have a little chat today about some of the, uh, you know, stuff that's been going on in the stock market with uh, these GameStop and AMC stocks, and also, you know, just broader discussion about finance uh, and real estate in general. So AJ, welcome. Thanks.
2: Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, excited to have you on. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, that was my little intro. Anything else you want to add to that?
2: Um. I think that's basically correct. Uh it's just funny to encapsulate 10 years in one sentence. But yeah, I started out in finance, uh moved to real estate, uh finally got to that job replacement income uh from real estate. So, yeah, it's it's been a journey.
1: It's awesome. Yeah, it's I'm excited to talk to you about it because um I it's one of those things that I feel like I hear a lot about, you know, there's a lot of these like, uh, sort of gurus who say, you know, real estate, uh, is the answer like, you know, to, to not having to work or retiring early or, um, or the passive income. Um, but I think it'd be interesting just to kind of talk about like, you know, just how quote unquote passive it is, um, or how, you know, easy or hard it is. Uh, and if it's, you know, kind of for everyone, um, because I think there's, uh, I think there's definitely some, uh, nuance that gets lost in that kind of broad sweeping statement of yeah just invest in real estate
2: sure yeah the grass is always greener (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah it's it's not so bad uh over here where i'm sitting cool although it is cold where i'm sitting i'm in chicago and it's seven degrees and snowing
1: see it's funny because that's that's like the complete opposite of what i'm experiencing it's like 70 degrees (laughs) I'm jealous. Yeah. It's that Southern California life. Um, Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess before we get into that, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the GameStop and um, uh, AMC and those, all those stocks. Um, Yeah. I guess what, uh, what was your take on that whole situation?
2: Uh, It's, it's been a, it's been a really entertaining two weeks for sure. Uh, I, I generally, I don't really invest in stocks. Uh, I haven't in a long time, uh, cause I, I have to weigh investing in stocks versus investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stocks in my opinion are, are pretty overvalued right now. Uh, they were overvalued and now I, I just, it's really hard for me to bring myself to invest in the market. Uh, I guess the main reason is, uh. Whenever you're investing in the stock market, you got to remember there's, there's 200,000 professional equity analysts out there that are trading against you and it's their full-time job. So anytime you have a, an opportunity in a stock, you have to, you have a really high bar to, to meet, to say that you have an edge over those people. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, but I do think that There is an opportunity in once in a blue moon opportunities because those professional investors can't, they're not, since those things don't happen every day, they're not fully prepared uh, when something like that happens, when a huge market dislocation, uh, like a short squeeze happens. Uh, So GME is just like any other short squeeze, in my opinion. We've had them in the past, but they only happen every like maybe four years. There's a short squeeze every once in a while, uh, and this this was kind of the same thing as as any other short squeeze. The only difference was retail investors kicked it off, and it all played out in a in the public view, which has been really entertaining. Uh, so, yeah. I uh, I mainly got in on I got in on the short side mostly because uh, I thought it was it's a pretty pretty good bet. Um, but again, with a really, it's, it's a really small position. Cause I, I don't think I have a huge edge even on, on this once in a blue moon opportunity.
1: Well, it's interesting just hearing you talk about it because, um, you know, I, I don't really, and I think, I don't know if necessarily most people talk in terms of like having an edge or, um, you know, just, just having the right language to talk about, uh, investing and stuff. Um, when did you get started, by the way, was this in college or were you you reinvesting before college?
2: Uh, so I started investing when I was 16, uh, in high school. I, uh, I, I guess, yeah, the very first exposure was in history class. They made us do a stock market simulation from the 1920s and they basically ran us through it. Uh, but they didn't tell us what the dates were. So we kind of knew there was going to be a crash, but we didn't know when. And they just used like the actual stock prices from that time. And, uh, just, I think it was pure luck, but I won that competition. <laughs> and ever since that, I was kind of hooked. I was like, wait, this is a, a thing. And I never knew about it before. So I, uh, I, I asked my dad about it and he said he would match any money I put in the stock market. So I, 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 I took my savings from a summer job and started buying stocks with it in like, I think it was 2007. So right before the big, big crash.
1: Oh man. (laughs) So interesting. So you kind of, (laughs) wow. It's uh, it's funny to think that like you maybe, and maybe it was skill, like, or there's some element of it, but like you getting lucky in that class kind of like provided that (laughs) reinforcement to get involved in real life, and then you get hit right with like a real crash. Um, so oh yeah, it's auspicious timing. That's <laughs> actually I,
2: uh, <laughs> my my summer job was at Bank of America <laughs> as like an <laughs> intern teller. oh God. And so I bought like fifty percent of my portfolio was in Bank of America stock, what? which went from like fifty to ten. <laughs> so yeah, my portfolio got decimated but, uh, that definitely just, it piqued my interest because I I wanted to know why I lost money. And in exploring that, I, I learned so much and just became fascinated by it. Uh, so it started off, it started my like lifelong obsession with investing, uh, which eventually led me to real estate. It's, uh,
0: it's interesting. You had that story as a as a as a kid because um i had a very similar story i i think it was statistics or something it was some class and uh we had to invest in the stock market but we were using like a fake online thing you know so it was play money um and i invested everything into uh apple at the time um and i ended up winning it but The report I wrote at the end said, like, I understood it was better to diversify. So (laughs) it's kind of like contradictory. (laughs) Um, And actually about your Bank of America, I think that if at that time you had uh, bank stocks were one of the best to invest in return wise, uh, post 2008, they had some of the strongest returns because they were so decimated. So almost, almost good timing. Yeah, almost.
1: <laughs> Just a year too early. <laughs> yeah, did you guys see uh that, was it The Big Short? Um Yeah, that's a, f-
2: a great movie.
1: So great. There there are a couple other great movies um from from the uh uh like I guess The Great Recession. The other one was Margin Call that I really liked and uh I think it was was it Inside Job? It was, I think it was more of like a documentary uh, style. They actually I, shot some of that interesting- in
2: Berkeley. I have an interesting point. The, uh, the protagonist from, uh, the big short, Michael Burry, he's, he was one of the largest holders of GameStop (laughs) right before in November, when he had to report his holdings, he had a huge position in GameStop right before the run-up.
1: Wow. It sounds like that,
2: that guy's, that guy's pretty awesome.
1: It sounds like he just does his due diligence. Like he was in the movie, he was just kind of actually looking at the, you know, the raw data and uh, making his decisions off that when, where everyone else was just kind of, I, I don't know, it sounds he like momentum even, trading or something.
0: But he even came out with a tweet like he was like, never in my wildest expectations did I think like this would happen for GameStop. Like he, you know, a good right place, right time. Yeah,
2: I guarantee he probably sold out before it went to 300.
0: Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, part of what I was thinking with that whole thing is like even if you think one day GameStop will be worth 300, like you should sell it now because the the time that it'll take to get there, you can do other things with that money in the meantime.
1: For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh well, it's an interesting question right i mean i think there's there's always that tension between like the fundamentals um and then i guess the what would you, what would you call it momentum of a stock right so it's if there's a lot of call it hype hype yeah um you know because it's like gamestop as a concept right it's it's a little bit outdated right and so it's really a question of like can they pivot into something else
2: wait but i i do have a point on on that uh because you said it it didn't make sense to hold GameStop. I think there is a method of investing in which you could have held GameStop. Uh, so most people don't really understand it, but like there's a difference between gambling and investing. Some people think the difference is when the bets are too are so risky. When they get to a certain point of risk, then it becomes gambling. But really, you can gamble in a strategic and scientific way. Uh, so you could have had of a a smart bet on GameStop uh, that said, I only think there's a 55 or a 51% chance that buying GameStop at a hundred is going to go higher. But if you think you have even a slight edge, you should be betting on it. And uh, as long as you size that bet small enough, uh, you're, you're going to win over time. If you can think of it as if like you're counting cards, At a casino, if you make enough of those bets, you're gonna win, even though if you lose those bets, you're gonna lose all of your your investment.
0: So I've heard of that method too, and I tried applying it to stocks. The problem I I think I came across with that when you have like a game like blackjack or you know, I don't know, something else where you're placing bets using that method, you know the rules, you know all the components, like that can be defined. And then when you have stocks, like you can say, okay, here are like their, you know, reports and here's what some analysts are saying about it. But like, you could have a (laughs) Wall Street bets, you know, social movement, pick up your stock, right? Like, there's like, so many things that happen or like BP, maybe you have an oil spill. You know, it's just like, it's hard to, I think. I never found the factors that I was using to contribute to a hundred percent of the like stock change. Right. And I think that's the, that's true. Anybody has, if you knew every, like, there's always different factors that either you aren't taking into account or maybe you're not weighing correctly.
2: Yeah. So you're never going to have a hundred percent certainty about what your edge is. Yeah. But you can look at, for example, when I, I, I traded this GameStop situation, I just looked at past short squeezes and kind of the patterns that all of them shared. And if, if you look at most short squeezes, generally when they start to really get going, the, the thing peaks within four days and is back down. Uh, so you kind of, uh, there's nothing saying GME was going to follow the same pattern. Uh, but you kind of have history to look at uh, to guide your your thinking. And and then, again, so you have to estimate your edge. But say I, I thought uh, my bet was sized as if uh, I had a 1% edge on the trade. <laughs> so not much. I wasn't very confident. <laughs> but I was willing to place a bet mostly for entertainment value. Sure.
1: Which kind of brings back to the original point of like investing versus gambling, right? I mean, I think there's, you know, if it's, if, if you're doing something for the entertainment value, um, you know, isn't that kind of the argument of like what casinos kind of provide, even though the, the it's, it's rigged kind of in their favor, right? Um, is that it's, you know, it's not going to be a life-changing investment for you, right? You're not, you're not that one guy who put his life savings on it and then, what was his returns? Like it was some ridiculous amount. He made like 40 million.
2: Yeah. Unless he's, oh. he's still holding up as far as I know, <laughs> <laughs> just, okay, the original, uh, you slash deep, uh, effing value. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's holding, he's got diamond hands.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or just, you know, he's a madman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, that's,
2: that's my favorite thing that came out of this whole thing is uh, the, the memes. And my favorite is uh, the diamond hands terminology because it's, it's so useful. Like diamond hands, is, is uh, we should all strive to have diamond hands.
0: I mean, even while we're talking about this, maybe these numbers are wrong, but it says that the outstanding percent of short is 88% of the stock. So that's, that's
1: quite a bit of the stock. And what does that mean, that there could still be a lot so, more volatility?
0: So the shorts, a short squeeze is the concept that there are more shorts out than there are shares available to buy. So if they had to buy all the shorts back right now, they'd have to buy 88% of the stock that exists. So let's say you're holding 30% of it, then that's a short squeeze, right? Because there's 10% that can't cover
2: so my view on this is most of the shorts that were gonna be stopped out. Uh, so, so most of the time short squeezes happen because uh, as you, as just the, the trade moves against you, uh, brokers, prime brokers, which are the brokers for the hedge funds, they require those hedge funds to put, put post more collateral to cover the loss. So as the position moves against you, the hedge funds are forced to deposit more and more money uh, to cover the loss in the account. So eventually the money can run out. And then that's when the hedge fund blows up, basically runs out of money. And then the prime broker will go out and buy the stock at any price just to cover the loss. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's generally how a short squeeze happens. This one. So th- some people might say that the battle's going to continue because the short interest is still super high. But I think all of the new shorts, I think the old shorts covered that had to cover at 300. And then the new shorts probably put on their position at 300 and going down from there. So those shorts are probably in the money at this point. They probably have a lot more capital uh, to spare. They're, they're going to be the shorts with deeper pockets. So I, I don't think it's going back up.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
2: But I'm saying that as someone who holds puts, on GME <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's fascinating I guess as a I mean as, as like an industry I mean do you guys see any long-term I mean is it just the blockbuster like is it of of games I guess like is that do you guys see it kind of go in that route I mean is that long-term is that the uh well, direction it's headed do you think there's another funny post I saw it was like
0: who actually likes GameStop like Last time you went in there and you tried to buy or sell a game, they gave you like $2 for your game that you bought for 50 bucks like two weeks ago. You know, like, (laughs) I don't know. I used to really enjoy going into GameStops when I was like 10, but that was quite a long time ago. And I don't think I'll ever go in another one. Like, I just don't see the reason to.
2: I actually, I have a PS3 and I, I didn't have a console growing up, so... I uh, I loved going into GameStop. I think this was about two years ago. I would go into GameStop maybe like once every two weeks and find a new PS3 game to play. And uh, it was fun. Yeah, so <laughs> I like GameStop, but uh, all the new games, uh, like all the new systems, you just download your games and it's much more convenient. So that's the short uh The short short argument argument. is just online shopping for games is just much more convenient.
0: A little internal struggle, like going, but I'm shorting your stock. (laughs) (laughs) I really
1: enjoy the time I spend there, but I hope your price goes down. (laughs) If if anything, that's more of an argument to go because you're kind of like, well, I know your days are numbered, so (laughs) I'm going to just cherish the time (laughs) that I have with you. (laughs) You're like... Putting a pillow,
0: uh,
1: you know, <laughs> <laughs> Just, let me make you your final days comfortable. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I guess is it, uh you know, it's it's funny, right? Yeah, the streaming and all that's changed so much, right? I mean, like you know, the game we've been playing, Peter Factoria, that was all Steam. Like, I can't I can't think of the last time I bought like a physical game for for some reason. I mean, everything from like I think PS3 and like Xbox 360 was was physical, but like the PS4 and and now PS5, everything was download, right? Yeah, no reason to. I think I think the PS4 actually had a uh, you could you could use like CDs or um, discs, but um, what would be the point? I guess. Do you guys see the same thing for movies, movie theaters, though? With the AMC, I
2: I think that has a little more time because it's still a better experience on a huge screen in a theater. Uh, so I, th- I think that's going to continue. There's no reason why the, the theaters should go out of business. They're having a tough year. So sure.
1: well, yeah. <laughs> tough year. <laughs> it's like, it's completely accelerated. It's understatement. <laughs> it, <right?
2: laughs> yeah. The, the weak, the weak theaters are definitely going to go out. of. They're going to maybe have to get restructured their debt or, some the weak ones are going to get bought. It's going to consolidate, uh, but
1: downsize. Maybe they still uh,
2: still be around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Theater. I mean, i I could see theaters going more extreme. So like instead of having twelve movie theaters, right, they might have six, and they're just huge, right? And like best sound, best screens, you know. Um, and then they only show like a couple movies a month. I don't know.
1: Well, it's interesting, right? Because it's kind of like, what's the what's the edge that a movie theater has, right? Like GameStop, it's not really like everything. Go, do, you, yeah, go do you
0: want to go down the history of movie theaters and why they're not owned by the studios? I actually heard a little
1: bit about this, but yeah, it'd be good to give some context.
0: So um, Edison invents uh, the like camera And he has monopoly on everything. So if you want to make a movie in New York, you have to pay Edison uh, crazy fees. So a bunch of rebel filmmakers take the equipment out to California, thus making the cost of uh, like a lawsuit uh, not feasible because you have to send like people back and forth across the U S so they just didn't do it. So that's why it's in uh, Los Angeles (laughs) because it's as far from New York as you can be anyway, So then they start creating industry out there. Uh, the studios would employ the actors. So like, instead of, um, the rock being able to do movies with different studios, it would be like the rock with, uh, universal, right. He would be like their actor for 10 years. Um, so they owned, they shot the movies and then they, uh, did distribution as well. And then there was an antitrust, uh, uh, lawsuit by the government and they broke them up. And so I think Amazon, I don't know if Amazon has a minor stake in a movie theater, but uh, that's, that's why they're all separate. So, but if they could vertically integrate cinemas back into like the film process, that'd be better. Cause I believe the way it works right now is if a movie is released, uh, the studio gets 90% of the, like revenue for the first week and then it drops down to 80 and that's just like a sliding scale um so most movie theaters actually make all their revenue off like popcorn and other stuff um which is a little counterintuitive i mean you always hear it but yeah
1: yeah it's kind I don't of think, silly. I, I
2: don't, yeah i don't think they would want to be vertically integrated because that's such a capital intensive business it's actually how they have it set up is perfect because the movie mu- the movie studio makes the majority of the revenue, and uh, the movie theaters are owned by these little operators that are
0: yeah, down, struggling, struggling
2: with all their capital, <laughs> and uh, just earning like a little marginal rate of return.
0: Yeah, no one really cares about a movie three weeks after, unless it's like Titanic or something. So <laughs>
1: or Endgame.
0: But yeah. on that on that point, though, uh,
2: it might be a good time to buy not movie theater stock because it has all that debt attached movie theater real estate, but actually like go out and buy a movie theater. Yeah. It, it's might be on sale in the next but year. But
0: like, what do you think about, so now we'll transfer into real estate a little bit like malls and stuff. You know, I, I'm guessing most of the real estate you own is uh residential
2: in some form. Yeah. So I, I only own residential today. And every time I've looked at commercial, so in Chicago, this is how it is: the taxes on on commercial real estate, the tax rate is two to three times higher on property taxes. The property taxes, yeah. So Chicago has is notorious for having just a terrible uh, budget problems and super high taxes and and just really bad pension liabilities uh so basically all the budget shortfalls get made up for by uh they tax anything they can and one of the easiest targets was commercial real estate because it's it's such a small group uh that can't really lobby against uh a tax increase so it's it's weird the taxes are are so high what's where are they at right now they're I don't know what the actual rate is, but just to give you some comparison, uh, a tax my taxes on a four-unit building are eight thousand dollars a year. Uh, that building's probably valued at six hundred thousand, and a tax on a one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar, actually, wow, this is pretty extreme. Uh, 000, uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollar storefront, thousand square foot storefront. Just one of those. The tax is eight thousand. The same. Jeez. So with that kind of uh, tax, you'd have to you have to rent out that storefront at twenty dollars a square foot and up to even make any return. So uh, honestly, <laughs> in my opinion, if you do the math, uh, commercial real estate is is a it's not an it should be worth a zero. It's a it's an all all retail storefronts in Chicago, in my opinion, are, are worth zero and the people holding them in the, it's kind of weird. They're, the people holding them are just holding on to these, like, I guess, lottery tickets. Like they're not willing to, to uh, realize the losses. And there, there's a lot of, a lot of big companies own commercial real estate. So it, it's interesting. A lot of the, the, the stocks, out there like the big companies where you can buy stock in them that own most of the, the the commercial real estate across the us they probably their portfolios are worth nothing what they say they are uh, especially after 2020 when w- with its the huge hits to retail uh and like malls and uh, basically any retail is is total <laughs> total total crap. and uh, but they're not they're not selling it at distressed prices, they still are maintaining
0: this fiction. It's gonna come back, yeah. I mean, you walk into any mall, I guess now is more than any time, but half of it's closed. Uh, but it didn't feel like it was the epicenter anyway. Um, I do think they're if you, I don't know if you've so like did some traveling before COVID, um, and we went over to Singapore and they love malls in Singapore, uh, most of Asia is like big on the mall, but the what they did is kind of the concept for what malls were supposed to be before they were like they are what they are today in America. So like uh, if you go to a, a mall in Singapore, they have like the main five levels of all like your typical mall, but then above that they might have doctors' offices or you know just like maybe ten floors of offices, and then above that you might get residential. So like the whole structure has everything you need. And then they have all these underground bridges and stuff, uh, or tunnels connecting the different buildings. Um, crazy, but it's It's like like, a whole city. Yeah. It's like a whole city. Um, so I, that was actually the original design for like malls was to, was to mimic Europe and like the streets and stuff, but put a roof over it. And if you think of Europe, they do the same thing where they'll have the shop front on the main floor, probably in Chicago too, right? Like shop front. And then they might have residential above that. It's just, it makes a lot of sense.
1: How would that work for zoning out of curiosity? I mean, would, would the bottom floor be like taxed at commercial real estate rates? Yeah, and no, then no, it then sounds above like a very bureaucratic yeah. issue. Yeah, that's Yeah, that's seriously. Right. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it's, it's, it's just square foot. It's based on square footage, but yeah. Like you have a thousand square foot commercial space so you're taxed on that at a different rate, a higher rate, in Chicago.
1: And what's the logic there? Is that you, um, you know, that you, like you're you're making money from this space, therefore you can afford to pay more in taxes. Oh, it's interesting because you have
0: sales tax too. So,
1: well, yeah, exactly. So, like, what's the what's the reasoning there? Because I know with I, like Berkeley, I
2: don't, I don't think it's a good policy. Because yeah, if you yeah. don't, if you have if you tax the storefront's so high that they're empty, which in Chicago, there's a lot of that happening. Uh, then you, you miss out on the sales tax and and all these other uh, ancillary benefits to having businesses well, in, your, in your area.
0: And just look at like Amazon, like let's build the biggest warehouse we can as far away from, this, you know, or as close to the city center, but far enough away where we're not like going to pay any of those fees. Uh, Cause I know, I know there's a bunch of big distribution centers for Amazon right outside of uh, Chicago in, um, in Wisconsin because it's cheaper. So then they just you know have all the trucks deliver everything in from there.
2: Makes sense. That's smart. That's also why I'm diversifying into Indiana. My last two properties I, I purchased uh, across the border, <laughs> 45 minutes away in uh, Northwest Indiana
1: and that's tax, mainly for yeah, taxes.
2: Yeah. The tax I, I just wanted to diversify. It's, it's a, it's a good market. And I see a little bit of, uh, the whole New York, New Jersey thing happening or New York, Connecticut, where people are gonna so start there and businesses and residences there, uh, just for the, the tax arbitrage.
0: So, yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about, uh, how you got started, what maybe you would do differently, you know, or what maybe would have done the same, or, uh, if you were to have started over maybe for someone new listening,
2: have, have no regrets. <laughs> that's my motto. Uh, I don't know what I would do differently. Uh, that's, that's a really tough question. Um. Well, yeah. How did I get started? Uh, well, I was uh, let's see. I was I was working at Morningstar. Uh, I was rating rating mutual funds at the time, and uh, working in finance. It was uh, it was a great first job. Uh, really loved it. Uh, and I I was my job was to analyze investments, and uh, kind of from that. I, I looked at the global markets, and I, I thought, Wow, interest rates are really low right now, like lower than they've ever been and I had this thought like what would what what would low interest rates uh, make attractive from a purchasing standpoint all else equal? And the answer was uh, debt financed assets no. and the biggest category of that is, is real estate. And then I realized, wow, that's actually something I could do myself. So I, I started just learning about this and I, I somehow I found bigger pockets, this, uh, it's a social network for real estate investors.
0: I've heard of it.
2: And they had a, they had a, a podcast, the bigger pockets podcast. Uh, it's, it's a great podcast. Started listening to that basically just like I I was in like I I I loved the idea and I I I guess I was just I just I didn't know what I didn't know I was just dumb enough to jump in not knowing anything Uh, so I I started looking for a a three unit building in 2014 Uh, and I went through a few different options. My parents tried to convince me not to do it, and uh, they talked me out of one investment, which was a four-unit that was uh, had a lot had a lot of it was kind of dilapidated. It needed a lot of uh, maintenance done to it. It would have been a fine investment, uh, but I'm so I'm glad I I did get talked out of that one. Um, and this is kind of. This would be a good advice for someone who is getting into any any new venture for the first time uh, look at look at a hundred different deals and, and by the time I finally bought something, I had looked at a hundred different things, and uh, when I found one that was better than all of the other ninety nine, I ignored my parents who tried to convince me to not to do it again <laughs> and uh and everybody else and i said this is the best one out of a hundred that i found so i was confident enough to go ahead and do it
0: okay and then i mean i think i've i think i'm thinking of the same podcast that deeper or big what was it being poc- big, bigger pockets, pockets bigger pockets um but like i don't they talk about how they like source the deals like send out mailers and stuff like that. How, you know, for that a hundred, did that take a year to look over a hundred or,
2: you know, this was 2014. So back in 2014, this was after the recession, Chicago's prices didn't even start recovering until 2013. Cause there was such a backlog of foreclosures. Uh, so, you, I found this one on the MLS and I was just looking on the MLS and actually I've found most of my properties. I found maybe three out of, uh, I guess I've, I've, I've owned seven total. Uh, and three of them I found on the MLS. Uh, so it's, it's, I still find deals through, through that. Uh, it's just, it's just harder than it was before. So yeah, I was just looking over four months and wow. I finally found one.
1: And did you feel like, uh, I mean, because four months, is a long time to be looking at anything, right? Um, did you feel like you were definitely going to find something at the end of those four months or however long it was going to take? Or were you kind of still, this? And you're talking about your first investment, right? So were you still kind of just like exploring, like maybe you won't find anything?
2: I, I was really motivated to find something. I just, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's good to be patient. And like I said, look at a hundred deals, <laughs> uh, and then you'll know, I mean, you'll, you'll be so confident, uh, if you've seen a hundred, uh, then you'll know a good deal when you see one. So uh, I, yeah, I just, I, I was just I was looking pretty reg, pretty much nonstop for for four months until I found what I was looking for, and uh, just to give you a, an idea of what that is, it was a it's a it was a three unit building in a gentrifying area. Uh, so I I visited three different neighborhoods that I thought had they were gentrifying, uh, so they they were kind of the hot hipster areas of the city. And this area was my favorite to live in. Like I, I I liked it the best. And, uh, I was looking for a multi-unit, so that's, that's hard to find. And this multi-unit had been on the market for 180 days and they hadn't sold it. So they had undertaken when I found it, they, they were doing a whole rehab on the, the upstairs unit. So they were they were rehabbing an entire unit. The upstairs unit was a five bed, three and a half bath, two store unit, and then there was two single units below it. Uh, so they were doing a full rehab, and I placed an offer uh, just below their asking price, uh, mid rehab, and I said, I want this building, finish the rehab, and we have a deal. And uh, that was that was a great. I mean, it was, it was, it's the best, it probably remains to this day, the best investment I've ever made.
1: And do you feel like that was mainly like the timing and, and or just like the amount of work that you put in or, or just a little bit of luck, combination of those things?
2: Timing had a lot to do with it. Hmm. Uh, finding an asset that was, so because it had Distressed. been stressed for so long. Yeah, it was the, the owner was improving it for me. Uh, and while he was improving it and while the, 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 while time was passing, the market was going up. Uh, so I, I, I found an, an asset that no one was looking at because it had been on the market for so long, people were ignoring it and the pictures weren't representative of the real quality because they were, they had, they were doing this renovation to the top unit. So I guess. The two components are timing. Yes. I I can't, uh, get away from that. It was a good time to buy. And then also, uh, the, the fact that I looked at it, an asset that was overlooked. So that's a big theme, whether you're looking at stocks or any investment, if you look where there's less competition, and in this case, it was a building that had not sold. And had been sitting on the market for 180 days uh i still find that that's a good place to get deals uh if you go on the like the MLS, look <laughs> go for, find the ignored look for house properties. yeah look for properties that have not sold for a long time and that probably
0: have bad pictures and like they could be good or
2: yeah or a property that has bad pictures or a property that's listed as two units when it's actually three if you can find something like that, then there's. So it's just
0: a, basically disorganization on who's ever listing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some so kind of inefficiency.
1: Have, yeah. The market.
2: Yeah. So you ha- yeah. You have, there's your, what I talked about edge earlier. <laughs> there's your edge is you have more information about this property than the market
0: does. Well, it's fake, right? The market is not showing what is representative because yes. of the inefficiency there so
2: okay so like on the kimball on this my first property uh i i knew something about this property which is that it was being rehabbed that wasn't reflected in the on the mls so that's that was an advantage that i had
1: yeah it makes sense it's kind of- and it's funny too because like it it applies for um just for things like stocks too like i it's it's different also when when you actually have money on the line uh versus kind of like learning the theory or or whatever um like some of the some of my best performing stocks are like they're not like super sexy it's it's like GE actually like did really well um just on the timing that I kind of got in on it but then and then like Amazon I got in and it's been mostly like flat since the point when I got in so there's 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 definitely something to the like you know don't like stay kind of away from like FOMO and, and sort of like the hot, hot stuff and, and look for like deals, look for the things that like you said, have been overlooked.
2: Mm-hmm. So the same things, I don't know if you've read anything about like, uh, like value investing books or uh, like Warren Buffett's shareholder letters or uh, I don't know any, any value investing uh, the traditional books uh, I don't know, The Little Book That Beats the Market. I've uh, read those. Any of those. So the same things that work in in stock investing work in real estate. It's just, I think real estate's a great place to apply them because the competition is a lot lower because it's it's hyper local. So you're, you're only competing with maybe, I don't know, say 10, 10 buyers in that little area at that given time.
0: Uh, but there are there have been larger like uh post what was it 2008 there were a bunch of companies that did like I remember seeing uh a portfolio for sale in the Chicago area I think it was 500 houses um a hedge fund had bought them all you know once they were foreclosed on in 2008 and then they would sat on them for 10 years um and then they were selling the entire portfolio so there there are there are some bigger fish out there like any there are, big there like are. apartment building. they will have a big uh, investor as well.
2: But I do think that I think real estate will always remain a, it, it will always remain a great place for a small investor to do well, uh, an individual investor to do well. And I think it's because there's two, there's two reasons why one is, the financing that you can get as an individual is better, better than commercial than what a hedge fund or any commercial buyer can get. Uh, so the, the reason is the government subsidizes residential uh, financing. So basically, the right now, the Federal Reserve is, is buying mortgages uh, so that they're directly injecting money into that market and lowering the interest rates. Uh, you... So there's a, there's these government-backed agencies, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who guarantee the performance of residential loans. And their job is, is basically, so if an investor buys a residential loan, they can't lose money on it. Uh, so that lowers the prices and makes it possible for the government to lend you money, uh, essentially, at 30 years at a fixed rate. And right now you can buy uh, a home at a, like a 3.125% interest rate for 30 just, years, which is just, insane.
0: It's super yeah. crazy. I mean, it's kind of right. The whole American dream, like house in the suburbs, yada, yada. Um, but like yeah. a bunch of other countries, that option isn't on the table. Like if you want to buy property in most other countries, you, you actually have to have most of the money. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. So the biggest, the biggest free lunch out there, I think is if you're an owner, if also, if you're an owner occupant, you can get a, usually when I said 3.125, that's including this discount as an owner occupant, you pay less on your mortgage than if you're an investor.
0: Right. Isn't it the FSA loan or something like that? uh, So that's something else. So
2: the biggest free lunch I think is getting a discounted residential rate to buy a multi-unit building. So for example, a three to four unit building, you can get 30-year fixed-rate residential financing, you can get your owner-occupant discount, uh, and you you can end up with a much better financing than a commercial entity. Uh, So so you get an advantage right there. And then next, there's this loan for first-time home buyers called the FHA program, which allows you to put as little as 3.5% down on its, it says it's, it's for first time home buyers, but really it's, it's kind of a one per person uh, deal. So any, any person can have one FHA loan active at one time. And uh, it allows you to buy something with as little as 3.5% down and you can buy multi-units with it.
0: But you have to occupy the,
1: you have uh, to occupy it. Yeah. And you said it was so, what? It's it's maximum of four units, though, right?
2: Yeah,
0: maximum of four
2: units. So how I got started, and a, a re- big reason why this is the best investment I've ever made, is I used an FHA loan to get into to that property with ten thousand dollars down payment. Uh, and so I, and basically, I had a another. The buyer gave me a credit at closing, so I ended up with less than 3.5 percent down. <laughs> wow. So I was, and from basically from the first month I was in there, uh, I lived in the five bedroom, three and a half bath, and uh, I rented out each bedroom. That's another uh, great strategy, I think, for young people is renting out bedrooms in a in a multi bedroom apartment or house. Uh, but I rented out each bedroom. I was making two thousand dollars a month cash flow, and not paying rent
0: myself. So, if you do that from, percentage from on that on that investment, if you did that, like if you ran the numbers cash on cash for that, right? So, you probably were in for five, and you're making two thousand a month on that. So, like your yearly is just going to be an insane like percentage return on the amount of capital invested.
2: Yeah. You almost can't, you you don't want to think about it in percent returns because it's, it's just doesn't mean anything, but yeah, I had $10,000 into the property and, uh, I was cash flowing, uh, like over 20,000.
1: Wow. And it doesn't even, um, uh, that doesn't even account for appreciation. Right. Right. So you get like a
0: 200% return yearly. (laughs) The year, the year after I
2: refinanced this building. It had appreciated by a hundred thousand. Uh, so this is, so you this can is take also another hundred thousand
0: cool. out and go somewhere else with it. So FHA it's,
2: it's an expensive loan. They add a bunch of, they add some extra fees onto it. You have to pay private mortgage insurance or whatever they call it. Mortgage insurance. Sure. Cause you
0: have less. Uh,
2: in- mm-hmm. So after a year I was able to refinance into a traditional loan uh, and uh, at, at, they said my equity was 20% down at that point. So, cause it was worth more. Huh? Yeah. So I don't say this to brag, uh, cause I don't think you can get quite that good of a deal these days, but it's still the biggest free lunch out there for, uh, young people looking to grow their wealth. Like if you find a three unit and buy it with an FHA mortgage, uh, it's and, f-
0: and fill it up yeah
2: and fill it up yeah if, if you make it cash flow do the work to make it cash flow and you got to buy right as well so remember i looked at a hundred to find this one so
0: and um, you had some like you got good the, guesses going uh, in right like you said gentrifying neighborhood and like an area you would want to live you're targeting largely your own demographic so yeah true makes sense yeah. um
1: I, th- I one one other caveat I, I don't think we mentioned though is that there is a limit on on how 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 high that can go, those FHA loans, right? I think for and it and it varies by I think even by city, right? It's like um like you can't get like a ten million dollar property for like with three, three no, and a half set down. First
0: first home, you know, it's a first time home buyer incentive, right? That's yeah. the reason it's out there. It's probably more backed federally. Sure. So
2: yeah, there is a there is a there are limits. I, here's, here they are right now. It's for a fourplex right now, the loan limit is 685,000, 550 for a triplex, 450 for a duplex. Uh, those are in, those are the regular limits for 80% of US counties. And they also have a limit for high cost counties. Uh, so you can probably get this in even a high cost area. But the limits are, one point five million for a fourplex, one point two, for a triplex. Mm. So, so yeah, it's still it's still relevant. Pretty high, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That is that is pretty high. I uh, I didn't realize they actually broke it down by um um like by if it was a, a triplex or or fourplex. Um, but that makes sense actually. I, and do they? Uh, I guess I'm curious how they like actually price that. Because I think that's, that's one of the issues is like, you know, if you, for a lot of people, right, like, what would be kind of in their range is maybe, you know, and this is, yeah, the limitations to this is it's too far from, from their work, right? And I think we might see a change with all the remote work happening. But uh, I think that's, that's still a lot of like people's concern.
2: Yeah, I was, I was probably lucky to have been dropped in into Chicago. Uh, where the housing prices were a little more affordable. I, I don't know what it would be like to try to do this in San New York. Francisco, Arizona, LA, LA.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I, LA, I, I think there's still areas though that you could make it work on the, yeah. on the fringes. I remember talking about this with my friend from New York and I told him if he wants to do it, he's got to go to New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you have to do that. And some people are unwilling to do it, but I still think, you know, you can have, for example, it was going to be a, a 30 or 40 minute commute for him from New Jersey, but it's still doable. Uh, and he would have made a lot of money to be, to, to, uh, looking back had he bought in, in New Jersey, just across the, the, the Hudson river.
0: And I think that's, that's, that's the other argument to real estate, right? It's like, And Sergey and I have talked about this, but like the power of cities, um, obviously right now (laughs) cities are kind of a negative with rampant disease. But um, like long term, you know, we were talking like if you can invest in like London when it was first created, you know, and have held property there and rented out the whole time, like that would be a phenomenal investment Um, or any major city, right? Like cities don't tend to die. Uh, they just change
1: it's and it's it's crazy you mentioned that i and I told you there was that book I was reading uh, I think it's called scale um and it talked about exactly that like cities you know like Rome right like these cities like last for hundreds or thousands of years they don't really go away but companies do like companies have a much higher turnaround right I think it's like ten years that companies spend in the s and p five hundred on average um wow. yeah and it's uh you know, so like that's a really high turnaround rate, and you know, you look at all the companies that have come and gone over the years, um, but the cities stay. And there's, there's so there's there's got to be something to, you know, like real estate. Like it's it's yeah. really hard to actually kill a city. Like you can you can ruin the economy with bad taxes, but um, yeah, like actually actually like have it be obliterated. Like that's I mean even even the cities that got nuked in World War II, like they're still around. So you know, it's got to tell you something.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's, uh, there's a, there's some efficiencies from a city, uh, for like the, it's, it's kind of weird. Like people, there's network effects from people living next to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, like life in a city is, is there's so much to do. There's more vibrancy. Young people are always going to favor cities because young people like, young people like being next to other young the people action. for yep. dating and whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I i don't think cities are going away. There have been examples of cities dying in the Midwest as the the jobs uh, left.
0: You got like your coal mining cities and stuff like that, and Detroit, I mean, small towns. Not, yeah, well, Detroit's pretty big. and well, actually, yeah, that's true. they were they were quite affected by two thousand and eight, the auto market and everything else. So, yeah, but yeah, if you diversify into a handful of cities, you're probably gonna be just fine.
1: Well, one thing I heard too with Detroit was they were reclaiming a bunch of land. Like they were, um, they were taking you know just houses that had been I guess abandoned and turning it back into parks or or, or you know just planting trees there and just tearing stuff down, um, which which was interesting to me because you know we we typically think of like just growing cities and and kind of expanding outwards and sprawl. There's not that much talk about like deconstruction, right? Okay. And, and how do you yeah well how do you how do you have stuff decay in a way that's like i guess healthy right for the economy how do you um undevelop an area right i think there there's something to be said about that like if you only think of you know it's like the almost like a, the consumer society of just throw everything away you know whatever landfill um you know and like but it's I, but you have to be concerned about like is stuff biodegradable? Like what's this doing to the environment? I think that's, that's an important component that's missing. I heard of an
0: interesting take on it and I haven't done enough research to confirm or uh, rebut this, but maybe you'll know AJ. So I've heard that when like a city wants to build new roads, um, the federal government will subsidize a large portion of it. So something like 70 or 80%. They'll only subsidize the construction of those roads the maintenance of those roads and everything else that goes along with it, sewer, you know, power, uh, are responsible, the responsibility of the city. So that means that, and typically the cost to maintain these things, like don't come through until 10 or 15 years down the road, uh, because that's how long, you know, concrete and roads typically last before they need to be repaired. Um, But that cost is almost always higher than whatever the city is uh making you know through whatever they're building so like that's why you'll see places that you'll see malls and strip you know you'll see random commercial development uh in cities where you you're like questioning why that even makes sense right but basically like they can get the roads for free they can get a developer to build like a A large thing and then they can have taxes on it right and then they kick the puck down another x number of years so it's like it's in cities incentive to develop commercially as much area as they can to so they can pay for stuff with taxes
2: i don't know too much about that uh i would probably say that's hard to make a general statement of of Maybe that federal incentive exists, but every city is going to be different in how it approaches development. So, uh,
0: yeah, that's that's about all I have to say about that. Uh, but don't, wouldn't you say that cities are probably more inclined to develop their area as opposed to not develop it because when they do develop it, they get more taxes?
2: Well, if you're talking about a city like Chicago or LA or any of like the bigger cities of the United States, there's really not too much land left to be developed. Uh, I mean, there's still pockets Um, in Chicago when things are developed, it's, it's a highly political process and it's, it's not about, I guess what you're talking about, it's, it's really not about funding. It's more about politics. Uh, the funding is there. There's money to be made. It's just huh. about, it's about nim, NIMBYism is, a so NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. Uh, and that's a powerful force in real estate. Uh, cause people pretty much universally oppose development next to them. Uh, it's just, just how it is. People, you do something, people are going to protest it. Uh, so it's always a political process when you're going to build something. And uh, that's what I've seen.
1: You see a I've lot actually, of that in San Francisco. I, that's a huge in San Francisco. Yeah. And nothing happens in San
0: Francisco because of that.
2: I've done a, so I, I actually invested in a condo development last year. Uh, we built three condos and sold them successfully. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing uh, a five unit development soon. Um, so I've, I've been kind of dabbling into real estate development of new construction. And it's an intensely political process. Every time we, we, you meet with the alderman, you in this next deal, we're having to build uh, one affordable unit uh, it's as a concession. So we have to sell one unit below market rate to a a family that's below the average uh, income in Chicago, um, and that's just what the the politicians and the political environment is demanding right now. That we interesting build some affordable housing. To do. Otherwise,
0: they won't approve the permits, or
2: exactly, yeah, they'll approve it. So if you give them what they want, and but isn't that, that kind of like in sense, Yeah, kind of, but it's it's. So if it would be suspect if it was just say like a political contribution to their campaign, you know, then it's, then it gets sketchy, but this is, Oh, we're going to give them, it's a PR thing. We're creating affordable housing. So the, the alderman, that's like the city councilman that covers this particular area, he gets to look good because we built some affordable housing and he gets to, you know, Use that family as a PR piece
0: for himself. I I guess the part that maybe rubs me a wrong way is that a requirement when you submit a permit, like that you, like is that a hard and fast rule or, you know, is is it only applied in some cases?
2: That's specific to Chicago, and it's specific to each local area. Little area.
0: So every building permit over X number of units in that area has to have some form of affordable housing. That's yes, exactly. Oh, okay. So that's like a, a law. All right. I'm, the, I'm we're okay with that.
2: Yeah. In the three units that I built last year uh, with a developer partner, we, it, it, the house on it, on the piece of land was already burned down. So there was nothing there. So, and we only built three condos. So there was no affordable unit requirement there. Uh, because there was already nothing there. So we're adding something that to nothing. So it's not like we're, we weren't removing affordable housing from the equation.
0: Mm.
2: And uh, it was a smaller development. So that one got through.
0: Do uh, a lot of the new development in, well, I think California and most different places sometimes require parking, you know, to be available. And I remember finding it interesting that, like at least one of the apartments we had, it was a two bedroom, but we had two parking spaces. And if you put two cars in the actual unit, that would account for two thirds of like the unit. Right. And like space is space. Some spaces finish nicer than other, but, you know, two, like over half of what we were paying for was a parking space. Uh, if you looked at just square footage. <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah. That's a, that's a huge issue in Chicago too. People try to, you, you can ask again, it's all political because you can ask for variances on the parking requirements. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every single development project has a political process because you're always going to be asking for some kind of special favor on the rules. Uh, And so that's just how uh, Chicago has a reputation as a, Kind of a, a wheeling and dealing town, and uh, some political corruption. Um, that's just how things are done. So the the aldermen get a lot of say in what gets developed. And uh,
0: have you ever heard of like? Do you ever people ever throw in like trips or stuff for these you know, know <laughs> hotels or events? Like how uh, how corrupt are we talking?
2: Well, uh, I think two aldermen are were indicted in uh, the past two years for uh, basically they were, they were a lawyer. They, they had a law firm. Uh, the one that I remember is Alderman Burke had a, a law firm that would advise developers on basically tax reductions or development projects. So he so was his
0: lawyers.
2: Oh, yeah. gosh. He was, they were paying his firm to like advise them. And then he was, Approving it
0: or not? Oh well, you didn't do enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow.
2: So that's yeah, that happens.
1: <laughs> and what is it? Is this a is this a single position or are there multiple aldermen for the city? Like, how does that work? Isn't it like a city council person? So one person.
2: There's uh there's like between thirty and forty I think uh aldermen. So each they're they're very uh, gerrymandered districts. Um, so th- there's a funny website that uh, tries to like, like this is the crab district because it looks like a crab because it's so gerrymandered that it just looks oh, wow. like ridiculously shaped.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> this so is within, within the city itself.
2: Yeah. That's all of Chicago. So yeah, so they, they slice and dice it into these little neighborhoods and they make no sense for, for why they, the it's wards so look like they do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no, that's and what is, you know this is when you have had a one party town for for so long for probably the past thirty years Chicago has been completely run by by the Democratic Party and uh, it's it shows
1: it's it's interesting because this is all the de- I mean I didn't even know what an alderman was before this this podcast um, and that's why that's what's so interesting to me because there's there's all this level of nuance that you got to navigate um, to to do a lot of these like these deals, right? Like real estate development. I don't think, uh, I don't think that's, that's advertised as much kind of to the lay person who's maybe just getting into real estate.
2: Well, yeah, this is all stuff that I've learned in doing real estate development. So, uh, yeah, as I, as I grew, I, my first real estate development, like exposure to that was I bought a property with a piece of land next to it and went through the process of, of rezoning that and uh, selling it to a developer who built a single family home on it. Uh, so it's just things you learn. And as you pick up, uh, as you get deeper and deeper into real estate, there's many different, uh, many different ways in, to make money in the, in the business. And uh, yeah, it's definitely it's it's fun. I'm I'm in development now because it's uh, in a, in many ways it's more passive. Uh, so to add another property to my portfolio, I have to I have to do a lot of work myself. But if if I'm just partnering with uh, a real estate developer who's pretty much doing all the work and I'm just Helping put together the deal, like find the the opportunity and uh, providing the financing. Uh, it's it's a really passive opportunity for me. And uh, so are you saying- They're pretty, pretty good as well.
0: Are you saying put up some of the capital and then also find like the property that would be good to do it on? Is that the extent of the partnership?
2: Yeah, so I'll help find, I'll find and often Uh, I'll find the land to build on and then I'll help take the the process through the process of rezoning and uh, event. And then as a, as a result of that, I'll end up with a piece of the
0: deal. So I'll be able to invest money for an equity stake. Got it. And then uh, I don't know. I'm, so I've been looking at multi-units as well and I'm trying to figure out, you know, uh, it seems like most of the cap rates in this area are right around 5% or something like that. So nothing super exciting, but that's again, if you don't do some of the things you were talking about, so you can up that for sure. Um, yeah. So but the-
2: I, I I'll comment on that. Cause I think I don't want to discourage people. Cause I told him about the 2014 investment. I just bought a property in the same neighborhood. And uh, like, within walking distance of my, of my first property, I bought an, uh, it, it was an Airbnb property, three units. Uh, two of them are Airbnb units. And it, it was, it's, it doesn't really, it's not a very great, uh, multi-unit because the units aren't legally zoned. Uh, but Airbnb is fine. Cause those are short term stays. Sure. Uh, and, and that, I don't think in cap rates, I think of cash, I think in cash on cash return. Okay. Uh, so for that, uh, I'm, I'm earning basically from 20 to 40% since Airbnb returns are variable, I'm earning 20% cash on cash returns on that property, uh, which I bought in, uh, I closed in September,
0: 2020. Oh, so even through the pandemic.
2: Yeah, in the pandemic, I'm earning 20% cash on cash. If Airbnb were to return to 2019 levels, I'll be earning 40% cash on cash.
0: Hmm. And And
2: that's that's with a 20% down payment, 3.125% mortgage for uh, the 80% uh, LTV. And I I live here and I manage these two Airbnb units. It's my first time doing that. Um, Okay. but But there's a good example of something that like deals are out there right now. There might be a deal in Airbnb because it's kind of a distressed play right now. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, so that's way better than 5% cap rates uh, that exist oh, yeah. in the commercial world.
0: So, and then the other thing that I'm slightly torn about, is, you know, we're in a pandemic. I don't know what the current jobless or unemployment rate is, but I would assume it's it's pretty high. Um, and, you know, the vaccine somewhere in the future. But the question kind of becomes there's all these people who I, you know, who uh, haven't been able to make payments on their mortgages, right, or behind on their rent. And I think there's still a moratorium on evictions, correct? Yes. Uh, yes. That's so. That's like a scary. big, yeah, right. And so if if that gets kicked off in the in a bad way, I would imagine that there'll be a bunch of distressed, not distressed, but uh, upside down, cash flowing, you know, multi-unit properties available. And potentially single-family homes. So, if you do have money to invest, it could be a good opportunity in the future if it goes that way, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't, I can't just let that go past. I have to say something about that. The eviction moratorium is. Uh, that is, it's, it might have been okay for maybe a few months, but that is an insane step. I I think it's it's so crazy to me. It's it's like an assault. It's an assault on private property rights. It's effectively it it, it nationalizes the entire rental market. Mm-hmm. If if you can't kick somebody out of of their apartment, it's you're stuck
0: with a negative unit. It's negative. It's, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. I, do you I, have do you have any people who are in that situation from your units? Thankfully. I
2: haven't had to deal with that. Uh, I had one tenant who d- decided to quit his job and try to become a YouTube star because he uh, he posted a video on TikTok that got 2 million views. And he oh.
0: decided to... Sounds like something I'd hear from Sergey. Like, I did it, guys. <laughs> I'm done. I'm a
1: YouTube star. <laughs> oh, man, I can't help but laugh at that.
2: <laughs> hilarious yeah so he he quit his job he has two kids and oh. i was like oh man oh like, no so bad so the way that ended up was uh i i said all right look just go you you can't live here if you can't afford it let me give i gave him back his security deposit sure in exchange for moving out
0: so you're like make it easy on me make it easy on you and good luck I don't agree with what you're
2: doing, but <laughs> yeah. more power to
0: you. Godspeed. Follow All your dreams.
2: dreams. <laughs> you should probably move back in with your parents.
0: <laughs> yeah. Follow your dreams elsewhere. Thank while you. you figure this out.
2: <laughs> so yeah, thankfully, I, I think I do a great job of having a good relationship with my tenants. And
0: uh, Well, it's an art. Every, yeah. every portion of the process that, you, that you've described so far takes a lot of personal touch and care because like, I think you, you know, you put out a rental listing, you get a ton of bites, uh, but you can always choose who you want to rent it to. Right. Um, so like, as long as you're picking good tenants and like, you know, stable positions, I think you're going to be okay.
2: Oh, Um, I, I actually have some tips, uh, with that. Uh, with tenant selection I, I have some theories on that
1: I love it let's hear it
2: so I think so one I love renting to young people young professionals or young people that are are doing well they have jobs uh, I like that because I feel like young people are less jaded by life and they don't know how to screw you over mm-hmm. <laughs> So (laughs)
1: yeah, yeah, tenants that are just problems
2: with they're older and they know the system a little better and they, they realize, I guess one, they're just more bitter. and, And then two, they kind of know that they're, they know their rights as far as being a tenant. So they know that they can screw you over. And so they're, they're the ones who do. And young people are just like, I, I, they're, they have a more optimistic view about life <laughs> in general. Uh, so they, they're willing to work with you and they try to make it work when things get tough for them. And actually a great, a funny example of that, that came out of 2020. Uh, one of my tenants lost his job and he didn't qualify for unemployment because he was working as a, uh, I think he had only been here in this state for a few months. So he didn't qualify for unemployment assistance. Mm. He actually worked for me as an assistant <laughs> for four months until I found another job uh, to pay his rent and uh, I enjoyed having the 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 help it was it was actually a pretty busy summer for me uh, but yeah there's there's a great example of I guess
0: I just turn in you know, a bad situation to something good yeah
2: exactly
1: do you uh do also you... Very,
2: very futile
1: <laughs> lord of the land
0: <laughs> uh do you do any like uh oh wait
2: there's also another thing i think which is really important for tenant selection and that's choosing passive people like um
0: personality wise
2: yeah like um the best the example would be like like someone who's like don't choose aggressive people as tenants and you can tell from the first time you meet them, it like, uh, uh, that sounds, I it, kind of describe, you know, let but... me, let
0: me, let me take it from there. So like, yeah, I was screening somebody and right when they came in, they, they pointed out 10 or 12 things that they would like to have change. Um, and I was just like, yeah, it was very nice meeting you. You're more than welcome to submit an application, but like, you just seem like you're going to be high maintenance. So, uh, yeah, I'm guessing
1: you didn't tell them that part. <laughs> that they were gonna be <laughs> <happy>. <laughs> <You> <laughs>
0: no, I'm not. Like, There's uh Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you I open mean, to
1: some feedback, sir? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you just it's yeah. Uh you do also have legal legal requirements that you can't like screen people out for certain reasons, but there's there's uh so many things that could unqualify somebody. Uh there, there's always something you can find. It's really lopsided. Uh, I think in the landlord or the property manager's
1: favor. Um, well, it's, it's a weird one, right? Because like you can't force someone to accept a tenant. It's like it's like this person, you know you
0: but yeah, I, I, mean, I see what you're
1: saying. Like you don't want like it, you, that gets into like the whole discrimination kind of gray yeah, area. Right.
0: Yeah and, and two, I don't know, I mean you you do you could that I think that goes back to H's point where it depends on how much they know. Like if a, a pre- prospective tenant was like a property, uh, you know, lawyer or something like that, is that if that's what they specialized in, like <laughs> I'd be super scared. <laughs> I would want to like do everything through email and like, I don't know, like it's just like, yeah, cause they probably know more. They would definitely know more about it than me. Um, I, I try my best to, you know, do everything I can to be, uh, just for some context, I help – I manage uh, four units right now. So i um, looking to make that eight sometime this year.
2: Yeah, pers- um, per- personality trumps profession. But, yeah, definitely <laughs> don't rent to lawyers ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I have <laughs> I have some friends too that are lawyers and they were in an apartment place and, like, their apartment tried to do some shady stuff. And they were telling me, like, the moves that they pulled back. And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. And it was like they were talking about, like, getting other units, like, involved in it. Um, so they were going to start, like, a mini class action, a mini class action <laughs> with the management. And I was like, Ooh. And, you know, lo and behold, the uh, management did, did the appropriate thing. And, you know, what they were trying to do was
1: wrong. So uh, I can't wait yeah. to show this podcast to Cy. <laughs> so he's, he's in law school yeah uh i was wondering aj
0: have you ever tried like uh where you have somebody at like where you're saying subsidizing you know somebody's rent or have you ever given anyone a discounted uh rent to help manage the property like take care of it and stuff uh
2: i don't like doing that
0: uh it's
2: just it's it's you're 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 usually getting you're usually leaving something on the table if you do that uh because it's kind of like it's like a becomes like a favor relationship and it just uh yeah like i have done it (laughs) with a long-term tenant uh i needed to raise the rent uh when i bought the place but he was a nice guy uh so i i did let him uh, shovel the snow and mow the lawn for me, uh, in exchange for a free garage parking space. So that's kind of how I did it. Uh, it's, Mm. I think I'm being overly generous probably. Uh, but it's, it's okay. I, I got saved myself the effort of finding a new tenant. So I factored.
0: So it's kind of like, I mean, I, I don't know. I remember, uh, viewing a place with you, Sergey in San Francisco and there was mm-hmm. like an extra bedroom and you were talking about making it a gym and i remember we talked about it for like 20 seconds before we realized that was a crazy idea because you can rent a one bedroom or you can rent a bedroom out in san francisco you used to be able to for like 1600 a month and then it was like what kind of gym membership can you get for 1600 a month and it's like, like you can yeah. get a hell of a gym membership <laughs> like jesus yeah you can get massages every day like you know and it just was like that's not Right. Like it and it kind of put in, that outing put in perspective, certain spaces can only do certain like only make sense doing certain things. Um and was, I don't know, it was slightly illuminating.
2: I once traded an inflatable jacuzzi for half a month's rent for a lieutenant who wanted to move out late. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so that's how I acquired uh uh, an inflatable jacuzzi
0: you know if have you, you used wanted it? to
2: <laughs> yeah i used it for uh, a summer until it got so it was so nasty it, it needed like chemicals and stuff and i
0: was worrying that really <laughs> yeah. you know yikes i mean if you wanted to kind of go off the deep end and be a little crazy like you could do if you guys read that story the most dangerous game highlight yeah well, anyway uh but you could like say this is like say you have a say you have a, um like a multi-unit that maybe you just keep for depreciation and it doesn't really turn a profit you could really cut down on the profits there and say hey like uh i'll rent all these units to you for you know next to nothing but you have to like compete in some weird contest or like right you could just get like Super bizarre with it, if you wanted. I feel like there's a reality show there somewhere.
1: (laughs) Wait a minute, and so you're saying you make you make the money off of the reality show? But
0: (laughs) oh no, I don't even think you make money off the reality. I mean, you could. What a weird way to do it. But like, I just think like he's talking about jacuzzis. You know, we're talking about mowing the lawn. It's like how abstract could you get? Like, yeah. And then I was like, yeah, some sort of survivor esque competition. You know, like, like once a month, right? It's like, oh, well, you lost, you lose your apartment. See you. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> Can we bring in a new person. <laughs> <don't know>. Yeah, <laughs> like, maybe it's like a what? free Airbnb yeah. situation. There's got to be some know. like UN human rights law against that. I think it's. Like,
0: <laughs> I mean, I used to. So I used to be a talent agent in LA, and like we had a client do one of those shows, and she signed up to like live somewhere for two months, right? And like. That's basically the same contract you give, they, and they got she got paid nothing, you know, and it said a potential prize of X or whatever. Like, I mean, that's how they make these
1: shows. Like, they don't pay the contestants to be on there,
0: so,
1: or <laughs> so it's such a small amount. I wait. So I'm curious. So if you if you're not going to make money on this show idea is this just like for entertainment for your own entertainment purposes like you're just (laughs) yeah slightly
0: i mean what i was saying is that right maybe you hold a property because of its uh depreciation uh uh, value and then it's only you know you're already technically losing money on it but you're not because you're making it through other real estate that you have um so it's already kind of a negative asset so (laughs) <laughs> turn that negative into a positive and <laughs> make it entertaining okay. uh, I, <laughs> I don't know i wonder so, what it the, was a crazy uh, thought
1: no it is it is a crazy thought i i'm just like wondering like how you would like how like let's say the show did really well right or like you sold it to netflix or i don't know something <laughs> right like how yeah. would that, <laughs> how would that count <laughs> like is it how do you tax that how do you even what is that is that commercial think, real estate now i like, think no, I think you'd set up another
0: LLC to run the company through, and you would rent the units to that company, or yeah, yeah. or something.
2: Uh, if you want your tax strategy, this is what you do. You you want most of the profits from the show to be funneled as rental income, so you would you would consider- charge the rent a ton of money. This is okay. this is literally what happens in. Uh, in like a show like for example if there's like a house that's used for the show mm-hmm. uh, the show will rent out that house for an exorbitant rate because it's a like a valuable like famous asset okay and then the money becomes rental income which is taxed at a, a lower rate generally and then passive. profits okay. passive income you don't have to pay like uh well It's you get your 20% deduction from the the new tax law on, on your passive income and you, uh, you don't owe self-employment taxes or those kind of taxes on it. FICA taxes.
1: Is there a limit though? Like, I mean, cause there's gotta be some upper limit to like how much you can charge and get like, you know, charge like, no. So actually it's
2: how much you can prove to the IRS in a, in a tax court is that's what it comes down to. Like if you're in a tax court, you have to make the argument that you rented it out for a fair rate. Fair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, But two, you can say like, as a landlord, I knew they were shooting a show there. So I wanted to charge them more because the like, you know, chance for something to go, it's not like a normal tenant, right? There was like an insurance, whatever, you know, you can put other things in there, but in film, that's how they, so film is really interesting too. So let's say you wanted to make a movie, Sergey, you'd create an LLC just for that movie you would then fund it with money from another company, right? That company would say we spent $800,000 on X. It's basically what AJ is saying. But then what you do with that $800,000 in the new film company is you're, you're kind of, you want to spend all of it. So then you show that any money you make from that film, you made like no profit, but all of the money was funneled through other entities that were owned by the original entity
1: right so like <laughs> if, if, please, please let me know if we're talking about tax <laughs> no no what's the, the what's film the... companies do this fraud the film companies do this all the time uh, it's, so like if you, it's not fraud right it's efficiency
0: uh, whatever you want to call it
1: anyway <laughs> there's a but, legal difference right
0: yeah <laughs> someone else decide so I lost my train of thought
1: sorry uh, you were talking about the um, funneling profits through a different LLC and what the film com- film, uh, film companies do.
0: Oh, right. So like if anyone ever offers you like 10% of net growth or net uh, income on a film, don't take it. You'll see nothing. Uh, if you get offered like 1% of gross, take that because that's before they take everything out.
1: Interesting. Hmm.
2: Good advice. Actually, that's something I want to get into. I I've, I've always dreamed about being a producer an investor in uh, in film. I think that'd be fun.
0: Well, I know this up and coming YouTube star. His name. Uh, he just moved out of his apartment, and um, I think I think you can invest some money in with him. <laughs>
2: he just just went viral (laughs) on
0: tiktok and if you give me his name i'll sign him and take a 15 percent cut uh before the next thing so (laughs) i think
2: he's been waiting for this opportunity so (laughs) you'll find one shot
1: (laughs) um out of curiosity what was the what was the video what was the what got him the two million views
2: Oh, it was like a like a scare video. Like he he like he's
0: scaring his
2: landlord. his wife. <laughs> yeah. He like scared Uh-oh. his wife
1: doing something.
2: Yeah, I watched it, but that's all I really remember.
1: <laughs> People love those prank videos. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's a movie you just saw. It's called Fake Famous. It's on uh, HBO, but it's basically. Yeah, they pitched HBO a show where he'd take three up and coming people in LA and uh, he would buy bots to make them Instagram or TikTok or YouTube famous. Um, and they actually ended up making one of their person, like he bought three, 250,000 bots, but now she has like 300 or 400 or something. So she's actually like quasi becoming. Famous or Instagram famous um and like it's really interesting because brands are reaching out to her to do like free products and stuff but he didn't say how much he spent to do that um, but I don't know you can make yourself fake famous I think for less than people think well it goes Speaking back to that
1: opportunity right
2: famous did you guys know I actually i'm I'm a I'm a YouTube star I oh congrats a pilot. Of a a rehab like a like a house rehab thing. Oh, okay. It's called What's your uh, show called Rehab Kung Fu.
1: Ooh!
2: If you search it on YouTube, I have one episode: how to install
1: a Google Nest thermostat. <laughs> <laughs> rehab Kung Fu. I'll definitely check that out.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was thinking about that too. Like, yeah how to how to have more fun doing your job and. Yeah, making a YouTube show is pretty fun. So I didn't really continue it though.
0: There's a bunch of like uh, multi unit guys on YouTube. Like uh, I actually knew Graham Steffen. Do you know him? He's like a big YouTuber, does financial stuff. No. Anyway, I feel like I did see,
1: he, I've seen a couple of real estate uh, YouTube channels that were interesting.
0: Yeah, it's pretty neat. Like, there's this one guy in Ohio, and he just like is like this one I got for twenty five thousand, and like turned it around a year ago and sold it for fifty. Like, I I don't know. It's they're in places that like you don't typically hear about wheeling and dealing on like a bunch of different stuff. And yeah, they're he's like super. There's there's like so much drive behind a lot of these guys because they're they're going into places that at least initially look pretty shitty
1: um and then they, they do a good job with them and it's,
0: it's nice it's impressive nice
1: i saw one that was a. Uh, I i think it was like a luxury like they would they would do like breakdowns of uh like they would go to dubai or, or some crazy city somewhere and, and uh talk about like different like th- this is like an apartment you can buy in uh like the burj khalifa um there was and there was another one that was that was also um i think it was similar to what you were saying peter it was um yeah they they just kind of it, it wasn't quite as luxury, luxurious like more practical um yeah anyways yeah there's there, it's crazy how much knowledge is out there like you can just like so my dad um he was largely like self-taught in real estate uh, when he was getting started but just to think about like the kinds of resources we have now compared to back in the 80s like what he was like doing like you're like videotapes and like just like going to like libraries and things and like uh trying to learn that way Whereas now you can just go on like zillow right and pull up like all the all the house prices actually in an area AJ, you I, might be I, curious have
2: good, I have a good story about this so i recently got into tax lien buying
0: uh so the properties are behind on their taxes
2: properties that are behind on their taxes each uh county sells off those those liens and if they're not paid so usually you get a set interest rate on them
0: like uh so their their loss of so for your previous example eight thousand dollars is owed on a uh eight five hundred thousand dollar four unit
2: yeah i'll give you uh, an example deal that i that i just did uh last fall um so i bought I went to, I did the Lake County, uh, Indiana. That's the closest county to Chicago in Indiana. I went to the, the online tax sale and, uh, there was a, there's a house there that had $12,000 of back taxes. Uh, it was a three unit building, hadn't paid their taxes for like four years. Uh, I went and ch- I had my contractor check it out for me. Um, Make sure like it was what it this it said it was because they just give you an address, and uh, ended up bidding. I think I, I I bid a little higher than I think the taxes were nine thousand and I bid twelve. I had to outbid somebody. Um. And uh, and yeah, I, I might end up acquiring this.
0: So you're basically taking a three for twelve thousand. Yeah, you're taking a three thousand dollar bet. That if they don't pay their taxes, you get to acquire this property for three thousand dollars?
2: Um no, actually they have to so the way it works is they have to pay me uh the whole the money that I overbid on them too. What? <laughs> hold on.
0: Because let they, this
2: they missed paying their taxes and they haven't no, no, paid no. It for a long time.
0: Right, right, Hold on, so but let me just let me just draw They
2: pay me my three thousand dollars extra back. They pay me I basically paid the city twelve thousand. And then the person, if they want that property back, they have a year to pay me 12000 plus, plus interest, 10%
0: interest. 10%. Wow. So I have a question then. Let's say you just really wanted to screw somebody and you knew they were behind on their taxes. And instead of bidding 3000 over their taxes, you bid 40000 right? Would they then owe you 40000 plus 10% until they paid?
2: Or they can just not pay you, and then you will get the property in payment. So,
0: so that is it, a tactic. You could drastically overbid their back taxes into an in-between spot.
2: Yeah, you could. That's actually what most of these get bid to. Uh, so the um, value a of, of like a big big investors do that. They bid it right, early. but oh, there, wow. is, there is some kind of difference. I think you only earn. In Indiana, each county has its own rules. But I think the overbid only earns 5% interest. Yeah, but even so, if you the can... Taxes earn 10 to 15%, depending on the... It's 15% right. if they take but, a year. But say that's 100 It's only 5 So a lot of hedge funds, yeah, they're, they're really happy with 5% return. So they will bid it up to what they think is just under market value. Sure.
0: <laughs> or, yeah, and... Huh? it's really, you don't, you, it's hard to lose on that. Yeah. So
2: you might be. So the reason that I bring that up though, is because I never even would have known about this. If, unless, if not for a YouTube, I learned it all from this, the tax sale podcast, this guy named YouTube. Casey
0: Denon. Huh. Uh, so yeah, shout out to him. So uh, you might be kind of interested in this. Uh, I built a, a bot that took every multi-unit, uh, apartment that was available in Minneapolis, put it in a spreadsheet, and then I ran another bot that went and pulled all of the uh, property information on each one of those units. Um, so then I basically had and then I put them on Google Maps. So then I had every multi-unit available in the city and what their value was. And you could even get it for like two years. So you could see how much they appreciated you could see when it was bought you could see how who owned it where they lived if it was an llc um but i mean i'm sure it's already been done but it might not be available generally you know doing one of those for for closed properties especially coming up here could be really good because that's pretty cool it's gonna be pretty bloody i think i knew
2: i know uh I know how hard it is to strip data off of Zillow because they they try
0: to make it hard for you. I no so I stripped it all off public like the city sites, right? So you go to the county website and then you just write a bot that uh, punches in addresses and then scrapes the information and then will wait like a couple seconds. It, the typically local government county sites are not that sophisticated, so that would be cool.
2: I had to look at maybe 800 by hand, uh, in the last tax sale (laughs) to get that one. Oh, wow. (laughs) I bid on 40 and I, I, it was, it's really competitive. Uh, but yeah, I could have used your, your AI. (laughs)
0: it's, It's not AI. It's a stupid Python script. That's like 30 lines. So, um, but yeah, I could show you how that works if you're interested. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean I might make one for my area too. Could make could make two, one for Minneapolis, one for Chicago.
2: Yeah, we could uh Yeah, you should definitely try to apply that to tax liens. Uh, it's, I think I, I'm kinda I'm sorry I'm thinking this year might be a good year for tax liens. I'm not sure,
0: but well the moratorium, right? Doesn't that apply to mortgages too? Can't you not be evicted from your uh house right now? There's like a, uh, yeah, there's uh mortgage
2: forbearance plans being offered, but they all, I think they're all expired. They were, they gave you three months uh, in the middle of the summer. I don't think you can get another one, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. Is that, but I did, is I that a federal policy? A of, I think a lot of people are going to be behind on their taxes. Uh, I don't, yeah, there is a federal, there was a federal policy on that. I don't know the details though. I just know, even, what it, I know what it was in the summer because I considered doing it, but I eventually, I
0: decided not to. Even getting 10% on a return is nice. And the bonus is you get a place for way under its market value. Yeah. It's do you, do you then? You want to be redeemed. Yeah. But do, than, do you have to, I guess you paid the city for taxes, so they're not gonna come after you, right? Like you'll only have to pay the future taxes. You wouldn't owe any other ones.
2: Yeah, I I need to pay the the like the taxes for this year probably need to be paid. Uh, I'll have to. I have an attorney. I'm gonna have to call him.
0: Crazy. Well, we're we're about an hour forty five in. So normally at the one hour mark, we uh, kind of let people know that that's like the first part of it, and then we talk more casually and just keep going. But this, I didn't even notice. It was a, such an engaging conversation.
1: So, yeah, definitely learned a lot. Well, um, yeah, it's
2: been, yeah. It's, been a, it's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. I guess uh the one thing we didn't really touch on too much was um you know just maybe talking about um you know the tomorrow people and sort of uh, <laughs> oh yeah right like <laughs> the, whole, the whole title of the podcast <laughs> the yeah whole reason um but yeah, I mean I think uh, so and i and I feel like there's there's so much more we could talk about with like the real estate and um you know some I know there's just like s- interesting stuff we've talked about like monetary policy and stuff, but I think let's save that for for another time. Um yeah, I guess the what yes, but as far as like the tomorrow people, what um yeah, I don't know. What would you say was kind of like your your initial draw to uh the organization and sort of what 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 was it about the pitch <laughs> that uh you found interesting?
2: Hmm. Um let me think about that for a sec.
0: I could say I largely joined. That was how you go.
2: Oh, um, yeah. I, th- I think I was I was most attracted by, okay, so the world has completely changed in the past 10 years uh, with social media and like our entire, uh, the way we interact with people and, and the way we do business, everything's different. And I, I kind of was attracted by that idea. Like there may, maybe a lot of us are lost in, in how are we, how are we supposed to go about our lives in the age of, uh, I, could, I, I don't even know what to call this age. It's like the age of social media, maybe. Uh,
1: sure. The information age or, uh, you know, but I, it's, it almost doesn't do it justice. Right. I think it's like, the age of acceleration almost. Um, you know, because everything's changing so quickly. Like within, you know, it's like not even like within a generation, right? It's within like five, ten years, you know, like you have all these new trends. I mean, like TikTok, right? It's such a big part of the culture now and like music and memes and, and ads and stuff. I'm sure like a lot of these like Super Bowl ads, right? They're gonna be influenced, uh, which is actually today's Super Bowl. Um, they're going to be influenced by internet culture. Right. So it's, um, so you're right. Yeah. Stuff has changed a lot.
2: Yeah. And then I guess, I guess the, the community aspect of it as, as well, like, uh, it's nice to, to hang out with other like-minded, uh, people that, that are doing really cool and impressive things with their lives and, uh, I always end up coming out of, uh, tomorrow people, uh, a meeting with some kind of new insight or new book to read. Uh, so yeah, that's actually, I don't know if I expected that, but that's definitely why I stayed in it because, uh, it's just always thought provoking. And, uh, I think I, I grow by just being exposed to, to all these amazing people.
0: Yeah. I really like the conversations we have cause I, I don't have those conversations anywhere else in my life, even pre COVID.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I can't think of, you know, my dad does real estate for a living. Right. And, and I can't think of a time where I've sat down for almost two hours and just talked about, you know, deals and, and the rules and all that. Um, You know, I think that's, that's part of the reason for the podcast, dude. It's a little more, more focused time, but, um, but the meetings are great, right? There's, there's, you know, the question you know i think is how to how to make this technology kind of work for us rather than just being a mindless consumer of it or or being the product right like you're you're the thing that ads are being sold to rather than the an agent that's using this technology to like you said like with the youtube video learn something or um you know use like use a script to get information to help with your investments right like there's there's a way there's a way to navigate it and it takes a certain amount of skill and also intention, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah like I'm, being at a buffet, all you can eat, trying to eat the right stuff.
2: Yeah, that's a great analogy. I'm I'm a big uh, consumer of uh, like success literature and like those kind of books. Like I don't know when I I used to listen to Tony Robbins and people like that, like that kind of, uh, those kind of uh, like motivational type things and like how to, how to create, how to become successful. Uh, I was big into that. And I often feel like the internet's like really powerful, but you can, it's such a distraction. Like you can spend your entire day doing nothing. Uh, and it just, cause it's, it's, it can be a waste
1: of time. So. Yeah. You can find literally, yeah. Any kind of content or distraction on there. Um, but I think what, what's, what's been nice about this conversation is, is, you know, something, there's something about real estate that's just very grounded, right? It's, it's like with stocks, right? It's just these numbers on a, you're, on a screen. You're mis,
0: you're mispronouncing that
1: it's called stocks, stocks, stocks <laughs> only go up. Yeah. Stocks only go up. It's, uh, you know, it's like, there's, there's, there's like a quickness to it and, uh, you're competing against algorithms and stuff with real estate, right? You're it's, it's real, it's tangible. You can you know, you need, you need a place to live. Um, and, you know, we were talking a little bit about malls and, uh, you know, you just mentioned community, right? Like I think there's my, I guess, vision for the future is like we need some, we're always going to need spaces to congregate. Um, but uh, I'm excited to see sort of maybe new types of spaces emerge, right? Like maybe, you know, Maybe we don't need to buy video games in a physical place anymore, but um, or you know we can stream movies to our houses. But um, you know, I think think having like areas where people can kind of meet and have maybe interesting conversations. Like, what does that even look like? What's the what's the real estate? What's the investment opportunity? Also, in in creating a space like that, um, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well cool. I don't know. Peter, anything any parting thoughts? Any last questions? No, I,
0: I really enjoyed this conversation and uh yeah, thanks thanks AJ for being so like open and sharing so many great anecdotes and stories and details. So
1: no problem. Yeah, definitely. Really appreciate you coming on. Number seven, I think that's a wrap. Lucky number seven. Like number seven.
0: Oh, and if you have made it an hour and 52 minutes, uh, we have talked about, uh, putting a little bit more information out there for people who are interested in joining the tomorrow people. Um, we will hopefully have some more details for that coming soon.
2: So, Oh, and, uh, if you want to find out just a little bit more about me and real estate, uh, www.millennialrealestate.org is my blog, which I haven't updated in a while, but I'm going to update now that it's out there.
0: Awesome.
1: Sweet. All right.
0: Thanks again, AJ. Thanks guys. See everyone next time.